Not surprisingly, with the draft less than three weeks away, the Seahawks are honing in on defensive line prospects. Who are the latest prospects to come to the VMAC? We'll be breaking it all down in a new Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether you're listening from Southern California in enemy territory or Texas, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. We're drawing ever so close to the NFL draft. So plenty of draft coverage coming on today's episode. We're going to be taking a look at some of the latest reported top 30 visits for the Seahawks. Very defensive line heavy. That should excite fans heading towards the draft. And then Rob and I are going to have a little bit of fun with some dueling mock drafts with one major condition. We'll get to that later in the show, but we've got serious restrictions on the players that we can pick in this mock draft. It should be a lot of fun as we pit our general manager wits against one another. Without further ado, now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Going into this offseason, the defensive line was viewed by many as the biggest area of need for the Seahawks. And they've done some things in free agency. Draymond Jones coming in with a big three-year contract, bringing back Jaron Reed. But they also let go of Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, and Al Woods. And so there's a barren wasteland in terms of depth at that position, particularly with the nose tackle spot. Rob, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that as we get closer to the draft, that most of the players that are reportedly coming out to the VMAC for top 30 visits happen to play on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's a barren wasteland on, on Seattle's defensive line right now. And, um, you know, I'm in the uh, in the school in which I, I teach U.S. history, and so I'm kind of taking a history perspective here for a moment, Corbin, and, you know, kind of going back to that defensive line. I, I remember going back years ago, I think it was 2006, well, I was fortunate enough to go to a Seahawks minicamp prior to the draft. And I saw basically a, a gaping hole at the left tackle position that year. There happened to be two offensive tackles that Seattle might be in play with Trent Williams, who wound up going uh, a couple of picks earlier to Washington. And then, of course, Russell Okung, who was just slid right into Seattle. As you mentioned, that nose guard position, there's basically nobody on Seattle's roster currently who is going to be able to compete immediately. Brian Monet, the only nose guard currently on the roster, of course, is coming off of injury. So I think that it is pretty evident that, that Seattle is playing to use one of their draft picks on a nose guard. Now, could that be number five overall, one of those players that you kind of mentioned a moment ago that – was in town or will be in town soon is is Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter, who, of course, we've talked so much about. And just yesterday, our wonderful listeners and viewers on Locked on Seahawks said that that's who they thought that the Seattle should be selecting. So to me, that's where we got to focus in on. But there's a couple of other exciting defensive players who are in Seattle or will be in Seattle soon for one of those 30 visits. So again, to me, it's, as you said, it's basically predictable, understandable that, that Seattle would be sp focusing as much attention as they are on the defensive front, considering how poorly they finished against the run a year ago. 
Yeah, ranked 31st against the run last year. One of the worst defenses in the league. We saw the inconsistencies rushing the passer, and that was an entire defensive thing, not just the interior defensive line. But clearly the adjustment to the new defense. They needed to make some personnel changes, and maybe one or two of those veterans that they've let go of will end up coming back shortly before or after the draft. We don't know where things are trending in that direction, but they are going to have to use multiple picks to try to shore up this defensive line for the present and the future. Jalen Carter has been the elephant in the room. We've talked a lot about his situation with the off-field stuff. Obviously an incredible talent, though. This guy would be a top three pick, no issues, if he didn't have the red flags, the incidents that had taken place this offseason. So as we mentioned yesterday, Seattle's doing their due diligence, but that's not the only DT that they have in town. Looking at their top 30 visits, at a at a barre from Northwestern, an incredible athlete. We saw him in Indianapolis run a 449 40-yard dash at 282 pounds. I still can't believe that I'm not reading a typo when I say that. And roughly a 40-inch vertical. I mean, the guy is a freak athlete. And I actually put up a film study today on all Seahawks about Atabare and looking back at the last two seasons at Northwestern. You don't always see that athleticism when he's playing out wide off the edge, but you do see it when he's reduced inside. He had a pressure rate in the five games that I watched almost 20% when he was at the three-tech position, and it was under 5% when he was rushing from outside. Now, maybe in the NFL that will change and teams will be able to get more out of him as an edge rusher. He does provide incredible flexibility and intrigue. He really is, in my opinion, the number one curiosity in this draft class just because of what he did in Indianapolis at his size, the instincts that he plays with. Obviously, a really smart guy coming from Northwestern, too. There's a lot of buzz about first-round pick projections there. I got to believe that the Seahawks brought him in for a visit end of last week. Looking at pick number 20 as a fallback option if they decide not to go with Jalen Carter. I think that's a possibility. Uh, if not number 20 overall, certainly with one of those two second round selections. Uh, you know, uh, Tommy Ottawater is, is a really good football player. When you were saying before about how um, you, know, you didn't see necessarily that elite athleticism translate onto the field, I think that there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, when you're watching a defensive lineman, he's obviously not going to be running 40-yard dash sprints very often. But I think you can see the explosiveness. And you kind of mentioned that again when he was reduced inside and just how explosive he is off the ball. That, of course, is one of the things that's critical to running a good 40-yard dash is how quick are you out of the gates. And that's one of the things that you see with the vertical jump, you see with the 40-yard dash, and you see him inside. He is consistently one of the quickest men off the ball, whether it be inside or outside. And so to me, that is really intriguing. I like the length. I like the power that he possesses. Um, he, he's 6'2", 285 pounds. He's a little bit shorter and thicker. And, and so it does give him the ability to be able to kind of be that two-gapping power guy, also be that penetrating guy. I, I like the way that you describe him. It's like one of the players you're most intrigued by. Just kind of, he's got such a, uh, you know, just incredible athletic skill set. He feels like he's a little bit of a you know ball of clay. You can kind of help him become whatever player um, that uh, that your defense 
wants him to be. I do feel very confident um, in the work ethic, in the intelligence of this young man. We've talked about that before. So to me, that's one of the reasons why I, I love the fact that Seattle is bringing him in because I think that, for one, I think he's a possible fit for the Seahawks. For two, if he does happen to be in Seattle at the same time that the Seahawks are bringing in, say, a player like a Jalen Carter who maybe has had some questions about uh, you know, his character if he is watching a guy over there that Seattle also might be interested in that is basically checking every single box, maybe that is going to be the spark and the competitiveness that, that maybe you have some questions about with Jalen Carter. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Corbin, but again, this is such a huge decision at number five. And Jalen Carter is such a incredible talent that I really want to make sure that I kind of express my thoughts on this and why I think it's important that Seattle do this visit. For one, I think it's just, doing your due diligence. Every other team in the league, obviously out there, thinks that Seattle is going to be one of the contenders for Jalen Carter to go there. So just make darn sure that you know who he is. And number two, I think you have to be kind of sneaky on this visit. And rather than just asking the player straight up some of the questions about, you know, his work ethic or some of the decisions on and off the field at Georgia, I've talked to scouts over the years, Corbin, not necessarily involved with the Seahawks, but, but there's some teams out there who go all secret agents when they ask a player to make some of these trips. They literally will have somebody else on that same flight who are just going to be kind of spying, watching that player, watching his interactions as he you know, goes through an airport. What happens if somebody kind of shoulder checks him or somebody recognizes him and wants to get an autograph? How do they react to that kind of stuff? I think those are some of the things, not suggesting Seattle necessarily is going to do that, but that's one of the things I would do. I would want to know who the player is from a different perspective because he should be coached up. He should answer all of those questions. If he doesn't, obviously take him off the list. But even if he says all of the right things, I would think that the Seahawks and every other club out there would want to have some other eyes on him to really make sure that he is who he is. I feel confident that Adebolare is that guy. I want to be a little bit more confident that Jalen Carter is if he's going to be a contender, at least for me, at number five overall. Obviously, those two players are the ones that are in first-round discussion. I mean, Adabari right now, with what he did at the Combine, is, in my opinion, one of those guys who's probably on the right side of the bubble to maybe get into the back half of the first round, and maybe even as early as 20 for the Seahawks, because there is a dip in that defensive tackle group after the first handful of guys. You want to take advantage of that, and they love elite athletes and then two other visits real quick that I wanted to mention Calvin Avery probably not a name that many of our listeners know about but defensive tackle from Illinois he is a traditional nose tackle 345 pounds not a guy that's on very many draft boards only had 23 tackles last year but I am intrigued because Illinois had the number one scoring defense in the entire country last year they were very they were very hard to run the football on and one of the reasons why big number 93 in the middle he also had 15 quarterback pressures according to pro football focus and around an 8% pressure rate for a 345-pound nose tackle. Those are actually respectable numbers. So probably a late-round undrafted flyer they can look at at the nose tackle position for depth. And Keely Ringo, the standout corner from Georgia, he had a visit with the team, a formal visit at the Combine. He's also going to be meeting with them for one of their top 30 visits. And so another big-name corner, another big-name Georgia player, and they might be asking him about a certain guy, certain teammate that – was here today. So there's a lot of different variables to look at when we talk about these top 30 visits, but certainly they seem to be prioritizing the interior defensive line as they should, not just based on the way last season unfolded, but 
there's just not very much depth and talent on that group right now. They need to add quality bodies at the nose tackle positions as well as the three-tech positions. So they're doing their due diligence so they hopefully can add some talent coming up in a few weeks in the draft. Up next, speaking of the draft, we're going to have a little bit of fun here on Tuesday with a specialty mock draft with some major restrictions. You and I are going to be doing some dueling mock drafts, seeing which one of us can put on our general manager hat and maybe win this particular battle. It should be a lot of fun. We'll get to rounds one through three coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NBA playoffs are finally here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a huge fan of player prop parlays, and you can make bets such as Steph Curry going for 20-plus points as the Warriors battle the Kings in the first round. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out. We've got a brand-new NFL Draft newsletter here at Locked On. Luke Inman's doing a fantastic job putting that resource together. So make sure to take advantage of that free resource by visiting LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters to sign up for your free NFL Draft newsletter. You can do it today. Speaking of the NFL Draft, I mean, we're getting close to the real deal. And so, of course, we're going to continue talking about prospects. We're going to continue doing mock drafts. And you reached out to me yesterday after the show and said, you know what, I've got a fun idea for the next couple of days that I think is going to spark a lot of interest. And it's also going to create maybe some controversy, which is always interesting on our podcast. So you decided to dish out the idea, let's do mock drafts, but you can only draft offensive players. And of course, that immediately sparked my interest because I love points. I love offensive football. And so we're going to do a dueling mock draft here. And we're going to start with rounds one through three. And I'm going to give you the mic first, Mr. Rang. Which players did you select with your five picks on the first two days of your NFL draft when you could only pick offensive players? Yeah, well, I appreciate the um, you know, the the introduction in the uh, you know, the introduction to the idea. Uh, it is something that I, I've tried to do in, in recent years and really try to look, break a team's strengths down. And obviously when you have 10 draft picks, if you're dedicating all of them to one side of the football, then that really gives you an opportunity to do so. So without any further ado, again, I have all 10 of Seattle's draft picks um, and as do you Corbin. And so we took different players with each of our selections. So starting off for me, Number five overall, I, I just have a real difficult time, um, you know, making an argument for anybody other than a quarterback at number five overall. And I did not trade down. So I went with the quarterback. I went with the quarterback who I think is the cleanest fit for Seattle that I think is going to be there. The quarterback who I think has the highest upside. I've talked an awful lot about Anthony Richardson from Florida and, and tying him into the Seahawks. And so that's where I started off my draft pick. And we can 
you know, discuss this as we go. But again, with 10 players and, and of course yours as well, I'm just going to kind of rattle off through my player list. Now, going from the quarterback at number five overall to one of my favorite fits for the Seahawks, the wide receiver Zay Flowers from Boston College. I think you make a strong argument that Anthony Richardson should not be a top five pick. I think you make a strong argument that Zay Flowers should not be a top 20 pick. At the same time, again, I think the quarterback talent of Richardson is so high, and I think the bus factor with Zay Flowers is so low that I do think that he deserves to be one of the very few wide receivers in this class that deserves consideration in the first round. I just see an absolutely dynamic player inside and out, and I love his fit with Seattle specifically. Going down one more pick to the, the second round, 37th overall, the running back position. We know the Seahawks have holes at that spot. We know that Seattle loves to prioritize big playmaking running backs. All of the draft picks that they've dedicated to running backs early, they have left a lot of Seahawks fans frustrated. I get it. At the same time, you're trying to ask John Schneider to change his stripes. I don't know that he's going to do that. And so that's why I have them possibly taking a running back here. Early as number 37 overall, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, 6'1", 220 pounds, one of the few backs with legitimate size and speed, um, and has been a consistent playmaker going back to his days at Michigan. From there, my favorite tight end in this class for the Seahawks is Sam LaPorter from Iowa. I, I think you can make an argument that Seahawks should go for a bigger, taller tight end. That's very much the, been what they have done in the past. You look at all the tight ends in Seattle's roster currently, they all kind of fit in at, you know, roughly 6'5", 250 pounds, 6'5", 260 pounds, right around there somewhere. But they don't got a guy who's a little bit shorter, more of an H-back kind of a type, a different body type. And, and I, that's where I think LaPorter um, can give them a different element to what they have. He is, in my opinion, the best make-you-miss-after-the-catch-the-tight-end position in this class, possible exception of Dalton Kincaid from Utah, but – you know, he's a guy who's significantly slighter, and I just don't think is the the, the run after the catch kind of a potential. The the way that the, the porter bounces off of would-be tacklers also provides you something as a blocker as well. You and I, of course, Corbin, love Iowa players and how pro-ready they are. So to me, Laporta is one that, that I'm a, a very big fan of. And then finally, I, uh, oh, and then Steve Avila. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my again, one of my favorite picks for Seattle in terms of just his positional versatility, his toughness. Um, it was a, as a starter at center was absolutely spectacular in 2021. TCU winds up getting a, a pretty highly rated transfer. And so Avia just shows his selflessness, switches over to the guard spot, allows the other player to come in. He also an NFL prospect, by the way. Um, and uh, you know, just is absolutely spectacular at that left guard position. When, when TCU got beaten pretty badly by Georgia National Championship game, Avila was one of the few guys who really played very well for, for TCU. At the Senior Bowl, again, he checked boxes there. He's so broad, he's so powerful, that he looks like the kind of guy the Seahawks have prioritized in the past. But he's also really, really quick. And so that, to me, is one of the reasons why I really like his fit with the Seahawks. And so, again, for me, I have Anthony Richardson, Zay Flowers, Zach Charbonnet, uh, the tight end, Sam Laporta from Iowa, and then big Steve Avila for the offensive lineman from TCU. I think in terms of value, I like your last two picks the most because I'm also a big fan of Laporta. And I love that you mentioned him breaking tackles because I call him a pinball tight end. And there's not very many of those guys, but he does just bounce off of dudes and pick up yards after the catch. And Seattle could always use somebody like that with the issues they've had 
over the last five or six years creating yards after the catch. That has not been a strength for this football team. He's also a very sound blocker. If you want to play tight end for Iowa, I mean, Noah Fant was one exception coming out of Iowa. That was not a strength in his game, but typically you got to be able to block to see the field. And Fant was really more of a glorified receiver at Iowa, if we're being honest. But as a tight end, you better be able to block because they like to run the football. So Laporta can check that box off. And Avila, uh, I think, is a player that could potentially be gone a lot earlier than the third round. He might be a guy in the second round, and I think he could start at center or guard and play at a really high level, maybe a Pro Bowl caliber level at either one of those spots. So I think in terms of value, those are the two picks that I probably love the most from the draft. I love all of those players. You can make your debates about Anthony Richardson at number five all you like, but I would tend to agree with you. If you're going to be using the number five overall pick on an offensive player, at least in this draft class, I don't see a receiver that's jumping out to me. Certainly, I mean, Bajan Robinson is a fantastic player, but I'm not picking him at number five. There's not an offensive lineman that I think is worth that pick with the Seahawks having the tackle position taken care of. So even though I'm not the biggest fan of Will Levis, he is number four, a distant number four on my quarterback rankings. He does have the natural skill set, the physical tools to be able to potentially be a dynamic franchise quarterback. He's going to need to be coached up. The decision-making process worries me with him, but he could easily be a top five pick in this draft because of those natural tools that he has, and there's been enough flashes. And then I mentioned Bajan Robinson. I wouldn't take him at five. I'd take him at 20, though. Absolutely. If he's still there, he is head and shoulders above every other running back in this class. I don't know if I would use the term generational talent. I think that gets thrown around too much, but he might be that next tier down. He's that good of a player. Him and Ken Walker the third together would be a dynamic one-two punch in the backfield. And then the second round, I know Evan Brown has been signed, but the deal that he signed is not necessarily holding the Seahawks to making him a starter. I still think they need a long-term guy there. John Michael Schmitz, if he's still available at 37, he can come right in and be your starting center from day one for the next decade. Hopefully he can start with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. You get a really fun offensive line for the next several years in Seattle. And my last two picks at 52 and 83 got some more playmakers for Geno Smith. We've talked time and time again about this. The Seahawks, it would be nice if they could bring in another bigger bodied receiver that could create plays. They've had a lot of success with smaller receivers. Metcalf has been a little more of an outlier, though, in terms of big body receivers. Cedric Tillman at six foot three. You want to talk about a player that got lost in the shuffle a little bit at times because of how productive Jalen Hyatt was last season. But I actually think Tillman is the better all around receiver. And he can do a lot of really exciting things in the intermediate part of the field, can create after the catch, can move the chains, and he's a really solid route runner. So you get him late second round, put him with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I think he would be a very productive third receiver, catching passes from Geno Smith. And then my last selection in third round, going to FCS level, Tucker Craft, the tight end from South Dakota State. We know the Seahawks typically have not drafted players like that, but... Kraft is one of those guys that has been on the radar actually for two years. I remember last year that he was being mentioned as a potential NFL tight end because he is one of those movable joker type tight ends that can block a little bit, almost 250 pounds, can catch, can create after the catch. He's been on the radar for a long time, so I'm sure the Seahawks are aware of him, and that versatility would make him a fun guy to develop. And I think in the third round is still really good value. And so you and I went similar directions in a lot of regards, but maybe some different style players. 
Different style players, but, um, you know, again, we've talked about a lot of these guys. I mean, I, I told you before that I thought that Bijan Robinson should be in play for Seattle even at number five overall just because I think he's that dynamic of a talent. Again, I, I couldn't justify that given the needs of this team. But, again, I absolutely love him. And if he is available at number 20, then, again, I, I got to stress to Seahawks fans out there, I do think that he would be a play for them if that were to – if the draft were to fall that way. But I have not had a chance to talk much about Cedric Tillman. So just real quick, yes, I absolutely love him. I agree with you. Jalen Hyatt, the receiver that wound up winning the, the Blitnikoff Award this past year for Tennessee, he's the straight-line speed guy. He's the big play guy. I think that he actually fits in with Seattle as well. But you're right, Cedric Tillman got overshadowed. And if you go back a year ago, Tillman was the better – player and he I would agree I think he's the better all-around guy he's the more consistent route runner more consistent catcher more consistent producer over his entire college career I think that he would be an excellent fit in Seattle because again you don't have much size behind DK Metcalf Derek Young after that, that's the only receivers that are above six foot on the roster currently at least of their real playmaker kind of guys so I think that Tillman would make an awful lot of sense I just don't know that he's the dynamic guy after the catch that say a Zay Flowers or Josh Downs, or Jordan Addison, those other kind of players. Uh, I think that's what Seattle is lacking a little bit. But again, I'm a big fan uh, of High or excuse me Tillman, and think that he would make a lot of sense for Seattle as well. Let's get on to our fourth through seventh round picks. When we return, it's all about the day three selections. And we know the Seahawks have cleaned up on day three under John Schneider. But again, we've got serious restrictions on the offensive players for this mock draft. We'll get to those last four rounds coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Alderman Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game, Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM like John Schneider and managing your own football franchise, your dream can come true as this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money, Running your own team, I certainly have struggled in that regard with the Honolulu Sharks. We still are near the bottom of our division four years in. I might be on the hot seat. This is the way to go. Alderman Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise by using the promo code Locked On. That is in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download a game by visiting alderman-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's alderman-gm.com. Alderman Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on NFL scouting podcast with the draft dudes from free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked on NFL scouting with the draft dudes wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. It's time to continue our special edition dueling mock drafts. Just offensive players only. We've gotten through the first three rounds. Now it's on to day three. 
where we're really looking for those value selections. So, Rob, going to dish it back over to you now. Five picks in the final four rounds. Which players did you end up selecting to add to the Seahawks roster on the offensive side of the football? Okay, so again, just for people who are jumping in right now, what we're doing here is we are dedicating every single draft pick to the offensive side of the football. Um, obviously, that's not likely to happen, but I think it gives us an opportunity, Corbin, really to kind of pick out some body types, some styles of players that I think the, the Seahawks and other clubs might be prioritizing. So of the remaining players, I, I really think that there's got to be a focus on the offensive line of the first five picks I made. I only had one, the very last one um, along the offensive line, that being TCU Steve Avila. But at the same time, I think that that is something that Seattle is going to continue to try and focus in on. And I think that the offensive line talent starts to creep towards a cliff here pretty soon. So you want to try and take advantage of it. So I have back-to-back uh, actually three consecutive offensive line picks I'm going to be making here. Again, Avila a moment ago, then jumping to Braden Daniels from Utah. Corbin, this is a guy who I love his versatility. He played left tackle, didn't allow a sack. He moved inside the guard, didn't allow a sack. He's done basically everything that you've ever asked him to do, and a lot of people project him as a center in the NFL because of his versatility, athleticism, and smarts. A little bit undersized, actually reminds me a little bit of like a Rob Sims back in the day for Seahawks fans who've been around for a while. Um, I think that he has that swing potential to play tackle or guard. That, to me, is one of the things I like most about him. And again, if we're going to do an exercise like this, where we're going to say all of Seattle's draft picks are going to be on one position or one side of the ball or another, that allows you a little bit of flexibility. And I've been a big fan of the idea of using those late picks and invest them on players who are coming back from an injury. See if you can get a, a discount on, on, the, on those players. And to me, one of my absolute favorite players in this draft class, Morris Trophy Award winner, consistent starter at USC, Andrew Voorhees. I think that he is going to be available in the late day three type of an area. And to me, he is one of the guys that is just too good of a football player to be available there. He is not quite as fleet of foot as I think what Andy Dickerson might be looking for. But still, I think that this is a guy that you can enter. Uh, you know, He can be a, a, a possible starter for you a year after this injury. And you're just not going to find guys like that. If you like Osiris Torrance and the first round or second round, I think that you would like Voorhees in the fourth or fifth round because to me, they're very similar style of players. So with those offensive linemen off the board here, now I get to have a little bit of fun with some skill position talent. You and I have just raved about Deuce Vaughn and I already have Seattle taking a different running back earlier and Zach Charbonnet, but still what Deuce Vaughn might be able to provide Seattle as a third down back as a return man. Um, that's where, you know, his hero, Darren Sproles, had excelled, of course, in the NFL. And, and Sproles only played 15 years in the NFL and left fifth all time in the NFL's all-purpose yardage. And that's exactly where I think Deuce Vaughn can be. I think this guy's a pro bowler. And so I would love Seattle to be able to get a player like him at this stage in the draft. A wide receiver I am very, very high. I'm much higher on than a lot of people seem to be. Stanford's Michael Wilson. He struggled with durability. That's the reason why he's available here. He should, he's a top 100 talent. But again, the durability issues are why he might be available here. To me, it's similar to Cedric Tillman you mentioned a moment ago. Seattle has a need to get a bigger wide receiver. Michael Wilson from Stanford, I think, has that pro-ready game to be able to do that. And then finally, we know the Seahawks love to gamble on elite athletes. And there are not very many who were more in, uh, impressive at the combine than Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion. 
He's got a fascinating story. It's a former four or five star recruit. He signed with Penn State. Just didn't have a lot of success there. But when Penn State's offensive coordinator took over as the head coach of Old Dominion, Kuntz followed him there, had a very big 2021 season. The statistics fell off a little bit this past year. But at the same time, 4.55 in the 40-yard dash, 40-inch vertical jump, 10-foot, 8-inch broad jump. I mean, those are receiver-type numbers, yeah. and the guy weighs 6'7", 255 pounds, 34-inch arms, big hands. The, the upside is immense. He is sushi raw. But still, to me, he is the type of guy that Seattle, like they did with Derek Young a year ago, Seattle is willing to gamble on these upside athletes. Zach Coons from Old Dominion, the tight end, is one of those. My two favorite picks from this cluster of day three selections, I would have to go with Daniels and, of course, Deuce Vaughn. I got to go with Pocket Hawk, man. He is one of my favorite running backs in this class. And you want to talk about a compliment to what you drafted earlier because Charbonnet is more of a between-the-tackles, 220-pound back, and obviously can catch the football too. But Vaughn is that guy that gets caught behind the line of scrimmage and it's going to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. That is your third down back. Charbonnet would be more of that change of pace, early down guy, maybe a goal line threat at that size as well. So you're getting two different running backs that really fill out your depth chart nicely to go with Walker and DJ Dallas. And Braden Daniels, every time that I've watched Utah, I've watched him to look at some other prospects, including Kincaid and I couldn't keep my eyes off of Daniels because of his pass protection prowess. Again, this dude did not give up a sack last year at tackle. When he's played guard, he doesn't give up sacks either. And I think that's where he's going to play at the next level. I think he slides into guard. Maybe he's a center with certain teams. I think if Seattle takes him, no, he's a guard. He competes with Phil Haynes on day one to start. We are talking about a guy that's played a lot of snaps at the college level and been very productive. And he checks off the athleticism boxes that Andy Dickerson's looking for. So that might be a guy that you plug in on day one if he can beat out Phil Haynes. I like that pick, and I really like Deuce Fawn in terms of what he could bring to this backfield to go with Ken Walker III as well as Charbonnet and Dallas. As far as my picks go on day three, I actually started off, I would say that if the Seahawks picked McClellan Curtis in the fourth round, I would view that as probably a little bit of a reach. But you made a very good point when you were talking about the offensive lineman moments ago. There is a major dip. Once you get past players like Curtis and Daniels, there is a huge drop-off in terms of the guard talent that's going to be available the rest of day three. And so for an exercise like this, I'm going to go get my guard right now that I think can be a starter in time. I don't think Curtis is a player like Daniels. They probably can start for you day one. But a year or two from now, this is a kid that's got a lot of upside. He's played tackle at the college level. We've seen Chattanooga players come in and succeed in the NFL as offensive linemen. So I like this pick here, even though it's probably a little higher than I would see him going I didn't want to wait with the guard situation and then for my two fifth rounders Rakeem Jarrett you want to talk about a kid that was a top recruit coming out of high school goes to Maryland had solid numbers there were some issues with drops had a few injuries but then I've seen the games where he's healthy and you could see that five-star talent that Maryland thought they were bringing in and you want to talk about a smaller receiver that can be a jitterbug that can create after the catch that has the ability to win downfield. Jarrett is that guy on day three that could provide a lot of really good value for the Seahawks. And then Eric Gray, 
He is my version of Deuce Vaughn in this mock draft for me. He is that guy that can catch the football out of the backfield like a running back. He is not as explosive, not near as fast straight line wise as Deuce Vaughn, but he's a little bit bigger and can run between the tackles as well. Gray would be a potential third down back for the Seahawks. They get a pick 154. And then in the sixth and seventh round, I get a second tight end, Brenton Strange, a different player than the one that you mentioned, Koontz, because Strange actually found his way in the field and put up some pretty solid numbers at Penn State. Didn't test quite as well as I thought that he would at the Combine, but he moves better than that on the film that I've watched. He's also a capable blocker. So I like him in the sixth round. And then for the seventh round, I decided to throw the wrench in here and bring in, you want to talk about a small school prospect, Northern Michigan's Jake Witt. He looks more like an NBA power forward. He's 6'7", 302 pounds, but he's really athletic and he's got that size where you could put another 10, 15, 20 pounds, maybe even on his frame. And he's still going to have the athleticism and the lateral quickness that, you know, Andy Dickerson covets. He wants those bigger body tackles, tall tackles that still can move pretty well this kid would be a major project it would take some time for him to develop but as a seventh rounder that's the kind of kid with a high ceiling that I'm wanting to take with a selection like that and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out as a seventh round pick but you could potentially have a really fun swing tackle in the next couple of years in wit no exactly and that's why I think that the strategy that Seattle will take is I think that that seventh round pick is almost certainly going to be some type of a project but that it has great athletic ability and, and that might seem obvious to a lot of people but there's some really good football players that are still available in the seventh round they have all kinds of production but nece don't necessarily project very well to the NFL and I think that Seattle will take the upside route rather than the proven route when it comes to those late round picks really quickly uh, of your um, day three selections that you made a couple of them that I really like Eric Gray, I think is one of the classic third down backs in this draft class. He's been productive wherever he has gone. Um, and, and then uh, if you put your list back up there, I, I'm sorry, there was the, um, there was, Oh, I'm sorry. The tight end Brenton strange from Penn state, very similar player in a lot of ways. The guy I talked about before is Sam Laporta in that he's a little bit shorter, but he's thicker. He's physical. He's quick. Um, I, I was like you said, I was surprised that his uh, combine workout wasn't more impressive because I see a good player on tape. If Seattle doesn't go with a tight end early, I think that they feel pretty comfortable. That they might be able to get one of these guys fifth, sixth, seventh round strange to be to me would be one of those candidates for them. This was a really fun exercise and we've got great news for the 12s who are wanting defense. Well, tomorrow we're going to do the same exercise, and it's going to be all defensive players, some more dueling mock drafts. Those of you that have listened to the show, make sure to hit us up on Twitter at locked underscore Seahawks and let us know whose mock draft that you liked the most today. Was it mine or was it Rob's? Make sure to let us know. We'll post those as well on social media so that if you're wondering – who always selected again, we'll have those up for you. And we'll see who had the better all-offensive draft. We'll be switching gears to defense tomorrow, as always. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Follow and subscribe Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms for free to ensure you don't miss a single episode. We'll be continuing our mock drafts tomorrow, but it's all defense for seven rounds. Really looking forward to addressing a number of major needs for Seattle on that side of the football with dueling mock drafts. Hope you'll be listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.